You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole uh, for all things geeky outside of Star Trek, because you know what? We talk enough Star Trek here on the network, and we've got lots of other things we want to cover, and I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I'm really excited to welcome back my good friend Scott to talk about Stargirl Summer School. School's out for summer, (laughs) except for the JSA. (laughs) Yeah, unless you're Courtney Whitmore, and then you got to go back, uh, you know, repeat some classes. So, um, well, Chrissy could not be with us tonight, but uh, Scott is pitch hitting, which I think is we got the we got the perfect guest uh, this week. Before we dive into everything, hey, uh, we are about to hit 400 episodes, and we would love your help to continue to see this show hit maybe another 400 episodes. And if you really want to make that happen, help us out by giving us a star rating review over there on Apple Podcasts. We're going to be reading those reviews we get uh, that are coming out here now. Between now and then, we've got two more episodes uh, to get there. Uh, And... Uh, you will, like I said, we'll read those reviews out on the show. Of course, you can follow us and like us uh, on social media as well. We'd love to have you follow us over on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Of course, we've got everything happening on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And there's the listeners only discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference. And of course, we've got our website at trekfm. Um, We'd also appreciate it if you would go over to Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of the team because there's no way that this network can happen without listeners just like you. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. Well, before we dive into talking about this season real quick, I just kind of wanted to get what you thought, uh, Scott, about Stargirl season one. Okay, so season one, if I'm remembering correctly, was that like 2020 or was that 2021? I, I'm i a little fuzzy there. 2020. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's so, yeah, it time is so nebulous, especially with, you know, the, those last few years. So I completely understand. <laughs> I remember watching that show because that was still before the defunking of DC Universe as a streaming service. So that, I mean, that show at the time, it was weird. It was like, it would come out on both. I think you could see it like a day early on DC Universe, and it was going to be a longer cut of the episode than what was on the CW. So I never watched it on CW. I watched Mm -hmm. it entirely on the DC Universe streaming app. And I remember when it was coming out, Uh, I had lots of positives about it because for a show that was on DC Universe, but then also was being co-broadcast on the CW, I was impressed with 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 some of the writing, but definitely with the production value of the show compared to other more Earth Prime Arrowverse 
type shows that I had seen on the CW. I could tell watching the show on season one that they were benefiting from some of that DC Universe money and not just, you know, some CW money because because right, I right. I had been very much enjoying my uh, at least season one of Titans and, of course, all the seasons of like Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing and all those other DC Universe originals like they had budgets and you and they put it on the screen. And so I felt like yeah, Stargirl benefited from that because it looked different. It looked more polished. Now, I would say that they've continued to like kick that bar up, you know, as we get into like Superman and Lois, which I'm a huge fan of. But at mm -hmm. the time, Stargirl was like that first was that first step. And you were curious, like when it became a fully CW show, if that trend was going to continue. So I I was mm -hmm. definitely enjoying that uh, first season. I I had some criticisms. Um, the the junior the junior JSA element uh, kind of wore on me, but it was one of those things that had to stop and go. But I'm not really the intended audience, <laughs> so let's so like just because it doesn't 100% click with me doesn't mean that it makes it bad. Because uh, I I still enjoyed it and I watched every episode and that was a case where season one I was watching it every day as it you know uh, like on drop day and I was watching mm -hmm. it and it was fun also having a show that if my kids walked in the room it would be like. Sure, you want to watch this? Go right ahead. It's it's perfectly fine. It's for as much as I enjoy adult programming, it's still nice to be able to watch a show that if my kids walk in the room, I don't feel like I have to immediately like hit the pause button. Yeah, you can't do that with Titans with your kids. So. No, 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 no. Or or oh God help me, Doom Patrol. Uh, this is very true. This is absolutely true. Uh, so with that, you know, I am really interested, and I think this is a great question because. You know, Stargirl does make the move to CW by season two, which they they uh, labeled summer school. And so just as with making that switch, do you feel like that the season suffered in quality just production wise uh, and maybe even writing wise? I don't know, but mainly I would think production wise because it's most of the same writing staff. Um here in in season two because they made the move to the cw honestly except for maybe um i and i think we were, we were kind of hinting at this earlier uh before we recorded except for grundy not looking quite as polished as he did in season one i thought that season two felt seamless from season one which was impressive in my opinion and I was also kind of impressed, like, the direction season two goes, because there's a, there's a moment in the season where I was kind of, eh, about the season, and then something happens, and then, dude, the show is just like, okay, you got your hooks in me now till, like, the end. Like, I I'm down for this. Because basically, for me, once Eclipso becomes like the predominant you know uh villain of the season once we're done dealing with junior junior injustice society 
and we and Eclipso becomes the, the the true big bad. Whoa, that show takes a turn mm-hmm. that made me yeah. go, "Oh, I'm listening." Yeah, no, I I think I really agree with pretty much everything you said. You know, one of the things that I did kind of wonder how the production value would be going to the CW. And I think that for the most part, it stays pretty high. You're absolutely right in calling out, you know, the large CGI products that they put in here, like um, Grundy specifically, or I, I think of, uh, you know, even even Stripe at the end being used. It's it's fine, but it, I feel like CGI and television has lost quality uh, over the years, I don't know if that's because there just is not enough time uh, for the few effects houses left anymore to do the work that is really necessary to make these things really good because there's just so much that's being asked of so few effects houses these days. Um, and to do quality work, it takes time. Money. That's really what it... Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it it's not great, but... I think you hit on something there that I, I, I definitely want to get at, which is Eclipso as the villain. And giving us this opportunity, I think, to take this kind of very sunny universe, which is we're, we're in this Earth 2, and everything kind of feels, you know, hunky-dory. Uh, that's that's part of the charm, I think, of, of this dark old comic in the first place and uh definitely i think what jeff johns is going for in that comic and even especially here in the show but eclipso as a villain gives us the opportunity to kind of really get dark with the characters but also to really be able to explore the characters because we're not afraid of oh, everything just has to be a joke and be light and airy and all that kind of stuff. And so, to me, I think that really is the thing that, just like you transform this season to being like, oh, this is good, to being like, oh, wow, this is this is much better than I actually thought it was going to be. Yeah, and, and it's not like they didn't, they just didn't go this hard in season one. But, you know, the commentary was there in season one with the idea that you're in Blue Valley, Nebraska. And Blue Valley is a location in the DC universe in the in the comic continuity that's like nothing happens in Blue Valley. It's kind of the point of Blue Valley is that it's the one place in the DC universe where bad stuff doesn't go down. And then when you get to season one and you've got Blue Valley and then you realize that this almost like Pleasantville 1950s facade that's going on is there because the Injustice Society is running the place. So, I mean, it, it was already there for that weird kind of, we've got this, you know, golly gee willikers setting, but there's a dark underbelly. It's just that with Eclipso, it was like, oh no, we're going to go down to the cellar. <laughs> for the dark underbelly of this season. Well, and I think one of the things that really helps as well is and in, in, in all honesty is when they have Eclipso in his child form. That, that child creepy. That that creepy man. It's oh my gosh. Well, and I I think what makes it is so creepy is the kid is so good. 
like he is terrifying as this you know children of the corn evil in yeah exactly this i mean welcome to the shining uh every time he talks he just feels like those little girls at the end of the hall being like come and play with us and it's just like oh he is incredible and so i think to me that's one of the things that they really do is they really tap into the horror element of this Mm -hmm. of of eclipso being evil incarnate like the idea of he wants to shroud everything in darkness and despair and bring out the the worst in people because that's what he feeds on like all of that i think is is so well done and and part of that is just the performance um that's given and uh, you know i i think the beauty of that is that there's something so much more terrifying about what we consider innocence as a child right and then taking that and flipping it on its head to where that innocence is being completely destroyed in the eyes of a child, which I think is what makes that so terrifying. And Milo Stein, who who plays this character, is just phenomenal. And 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 you know, not a lot of kids, kid actors, I don't think, could pull this off. But goodness, is he the creepiest thing I've seen in a long time? Oh, absolutely. And and you and like you were talking about child actors, and I'm going to go also to like the adolescent actors who play as I. I don't mean to be condescending, but as I refer to as the junior the junior justice society, uh, you know, you know, you you get some scenes and some actors that they really it really sings when when they do their performance, and then there's others where it feels just a little bit like I'm watching a teen drama, and it, 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 and sometimes it depends on what the scene is. It's not like I'm going to throw any particular actor under the bus when it comes to that. It's just these actors have their strengths, and then, in my opinion, they have some of their weaknesses. But the best part is, is that the show does eventually mm-hmm. find a way to balance itself out. Because as soon as you're getting annoyed or irritated with one aspect, the show is really mm-hmm. good at shifting gears and then bringing me to something that I I appreciate more. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I want to. You're leading me right into something that was really interesting to me is that we introduced Jade, who's Green Lantern's daughter, uh, and they don't tell us who her mother is in the comics. It's Rosie Canton. And she has a twin sister, but here she actually has a brother in this version. And to me, I think if if there's a weakest link in the cast, it's her. Um, even my wife was like, she is not good. Um, all of her line delivery was just not great, um, which was really disappointing because if you're going to introduce... A Green Lantern, which I think is awesome. Uh, you know, we just don't get enough Green Lantern action in the first place in anything these days. Um, unless that show ever sees the light of day. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, but I was I was really disappointed because I was really excited that they were going to bring a Green Lantern to Stargirl. And then the actress just... She really ruined 
it for me. I, I was really disappointed in, in every scene that she was in and all of her performance. And it really frustrated I, me. You know, and the question I sometimes have is, is it the actress? Is it the writing she was given? Because the way that they wrote her character mm-hmm. where she had to be Little Miss Perfect, that never turns out well. So it's like, is it, I'm always, I'm very, as a recovering actor, as I like to say, I'm always very cognizant about, it's never just the actor. It's this weird trifecta of the actor, the direction, and the writing. And I feel like one, two, or all three failed Jade in in this show. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point uh, because that is one of the things that I think the worst of the CW has been very much um, guilty of uh, in all of its shows. Uh, And so this, I think, is just a part of that. Um, And so I think it could have been a combination of all of those things, you know, maybe not the right choice of of actor, but then the writing for it's just not great. And, you know, um, and I I don't think I was a little bit disappointed the way that she's utilized throughout the entire season anyway. Um, She doesn't really get a ton to do, which was disappointing as well, because. I'm excited to see the opportunity of of a Green Lantern character on screen, and I just don't feel like that they really gave her a big enough role, oh, no, not, honestly. N- not at all. I mean, I remember when it was said that she was coming on the show, and I was like, oh, cool, we're, we're filling in another member of the JSA. Because, you know, every one of the kids, you know, became, you know, a legacy character, basically, of... You know, right. the OG JSA, because, you know, you've got Stargirl, who's Starman. You've got Beth as Dr. Midnight. You've got Rick taking over for his father as Our Man. You've got Yolanda, who's there as Wildcat. I mean, so really, when you're talking about the JSA, I mean, the only ones you're kind of left with going is, okay, where's Green Lantern? Where's Flash? And where's Hawkman? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. So uh, one of the things that they do here, too, and and this is a big part of the show, is that they have that flashback structure where we are going to tell the story now, but we're going to flash back to the previous JSA. And basically, we're going to learn a lot of stuff about not only where this this you know, threat comes from with Eclipso, we're going to learn about the failings of the previous JSA, and then... We finally learn what universe we're in with Stargirl in relation to the rest of the CW shows. And, well, you know, we're on the same universe as Jay Garrick. Well, okay. Now, let me, maybe I missed something here, but can I, can I offer maybe a devil's advocate or a little bit of a pushback? Because I'm kind of curious about something when it comes to that. Because we were told at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths that this is Earth 2. Mm-hmm. Now, with the complete understanding that we're talking pre-crisis and post-crisis, and any DC fan will tell you, you're talking about a whole new ball game whenever you look at something before a crisis and something after a crisis. Yes, because before crisis, our Jay Garrick played by in um, oh my god, why am I blanking on his name? Oh, 
John Wesley Ship. Oh my goodness. It, yep, it yeah. took my brain yep, way too you. long to get there. But because you know, John Wesley Ship played Jay Garrick on the on Grant Gustin's The Flash show, and his Flash technically was from Earth Three. But once again, once the multiverse collapses and you know is reborn at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths, I mean, is is it not just are we saying that just because John Wesley Ship shows up as Jay Garrick or or other thing that I miss some clues that says Yeah, I'm guessing I'm guessing that we're on whatever earth he was on back in the day. And so if that's I couldn't remember if that was Earth two or three. And because it's all so convoluted. Yeah. It was Earth but- three pre crisis. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. And maybe maybe now this is considered Earth 2. If there is an Earth 2, I don't know. Maybe they don't even know. Uh so uh that's a good that's a really good question. But at least it it seemed to answer to me that this this felt like Jay Garrick's Earth. Uh, yeah, okay. I got gotcha. you. Back then, so where that is now, if this is in continuity, you know, in the sense of like after the crisis, how that'll work out, I have no idea, you know. Uh, but it did seem like they were saying, "Hey, this is the this is the same Earth that Jay Garrick is from, the same universe." Yeah. So I I guess I am just also as a DC fan, I'm also wary of being very. Um, definitive about this kind of things because you can have doppelgangers of characters being played oh, by yeah. the true. same actor yep. and they be from different Earths. So I was almost mm-hmm. willing to go, this is just another version of Jay Garrick out in the multiverse. Oh, that make oh, I like that too. I actually I think that works pretty well um as a as a thought process. So um yeah, I think flashbacks to things don't always work but i felt like in this season using the flashbacks to allow us to see the original jsa and their failing was really interesting um and to see too that it wasn't like this this choice uh that they made to kill the host of eclipso was not made because they wanted to or they thought it was the only, they just thought that this was the only way they they didn't see another way past this and you know the fact that eclipso was was threatening all of their families um you know it it, it 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 really put them between a rock and a hard place. So I I really appreciated the way that the flashbacks worked here, and I thought um, the way that they worked them into the different episodes was actually really well done as well. And I think it also just helped me. Like you know, we got a taste of that in the first season, but I think it helps you get a sense of where. Are, are as you mentioned the junior JSA where they can go to just like with with their abilities and and all that kind of stuff since all of these characters are still learning about that so that's one of the ways I thought that the flashback stru- structure really worked. Well, the flashback structure was also really good for making a mystery, like you, especially when right. you've got yes. Pat yeah. 
hinting at thing. Like, it's that great kind of foreshadowing where this character knows everything. And then the audience is only going to find out as the show decides to tell you. So what it does do is it makes you go, what the heck happened back then? And it and you keep watching. And thankfully, because it's only a 13 episode season, you know, it doesn't get overly dragged out over the course of, you know, back in the day when we would have 22, 23 episode seasons. Um, right. I, I'm thinking of Arrow. You know, I because, you know, the, yeah. you know, the weird thing with Arrow is that <laughs> the flashbacks were sometimes some of my favorite parts, you know, uh, of those, yep. especially yep. those early seasons. It was like, oh, it, yeah, you didn't give me a flashback in an episode. And I was just like, what the heck, man? Uh-huh. What my flashback? I know the first two seasons, especially. Yes. <laughs> so I really did enjoy the flashbacks. One, I enjoy getting to see the old school JSA. Uh, one of I think if if. The listeners haven't picked up on my attitude so far. I was – if I had any disappointment with with Stargirl Season 1, it was the fact that I was just getting Junior JSA. I was like, dude, I want the – I want I want the I want the real ones. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want the – I don't want the kids. I want the real ones. And so this was kind of cool to be able to see, oh, there's Ted Grant. There's Alan Scott. There's Jay Garrick. You know, you know, there, you know, there's Dr. Midnighter. You know, it was kind of nice to go, oh, this is the sounds terrible, but this is the real JSA. <laughs> and and so the flashbacks gave me that while also giving me uh, a really, really solid mystery about what the heck happened back in the day. Kind of mm-hmm. like a Watchmen style of. Yeah, what, I think. Yeah, it's a good dude, point. what went wrong? But also, I remember having a Luke. Oh my God, I did not mean to do that as a pun. Having a lukewarm opinion of Luke Wilson in season one, going like, <laughs> "Wow, I really did not mean to go there, but I did." And feeling like I've seen Luke Wilson in movies, I know he's good. I know he's entertaining, and feeling like he kind of phoned it in in season one, and. I feel like he's a little bit more committed in season two. Still not all the way there, but definitely a step up from season one. And I felt like these flashbacks gave Pat Dugan a little bit more gravitas, a a little bit more crap to deal with, you know, that wasn't just, oh, my God, my stepdaughter wants to be a superhero. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's a perfect segue in the idea that this season really seems to be about complicated people and that everybody, you know, there are two sides to everyone. There's light and there's dark. And that's one of the things that we see throughout this entire season is that everybody is much more complicated than we, uh, you know, might see on the outside, you know, and I think Pat's a great example of that. Um, you know, we see a character and and we get a chance because we have those flashbacks to kind of get a peek into his psyche uh, because we're having, you know, him have to face the darkness within him. We get to see the things that have kind of driven him and, you know, uh, maybe felt like, you know, stripesy. Nobody puts stripesy in a corner, you know, and and that's kind of how he's felt. Um, you know, we, we see that with, uh, you know, the, the different characters like Shade kind of getting a, a chance to see that basically the shades of gray 
with with characters, you know, and, and that not everybody's pure evil unless you're Eclipso, um, you know, and that there's there's there can be good in you, you know, Grundy, uh, you know, the 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 Croc family, Cindy herself, the original JSA, I, pretty much everybody in the show is being shown to be much more complicated than we first thought. And I think that was one of the things that the flashback structure bit was able to do. And because we have Eclipso as a villain, it allows us to see the the darker sides of, of us and these people. And that we have to be able to come face to face with our, our own darkness. Because if we don't and we just deny it, it probably ends up coming out in terrible ways. And and I just I thought that that was great about this season. The Shade had a really great line to Courtney that I really appreciated. It was like, child, there's a difference between bad and evil. And I really mm-hmm. loved that line. I was like, oh, my goodness. That is actually probably more profound than they thought at the time. But it it was a really great distinction that you can be bad, but that doesn't make you evil. And really the idea of let's be careful when we call someone or something evil and understand mm-hmm. that's a whole new boss level when we're talking about darkness. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I think that's that's a hundred percent right. Because I, I think too that understanding of bad allows people here to be able to forgive people. You know, the the fact that Rick can forgive Grundy. Because he realizes that Grundy was a person who was was used and abused. The story and, of the junkyard, and, like the the fighting dog, I loved yeah, yeah. that scene and that story so much. I, absolutely, I think it, it 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 what it did is it it really went to show all of us are going to be like hurt by people in our lives and the idea of offering forgiveness uh to people um is is really important not just for them but for ourselves right and whether or not they earn it or not and you may get a situation where like rick and grundy forgiveness is given and it creates the opportunity for redemption to happen you know, um, I, I think the same thing, you know, we see that in, in a more humorous way with the Croc family <laughs> of, you know, they just kind of fell into this life of crime and yet they're parents who love their daughter. You know, they they want what's best for her. They want her to be able to succeed and they're willing to give up their own lives back in prison if they if they know that, you know, she'll be able to um, uh, move forward um, so that basically she's not associated with them. And of course that changes at the very end when they move next door. But, you know, like, again, I think being able to see all of these different sides also does help when we are, we come face to face with real evil. And I think what's really interesting is that here real evil is, is 
shown to be this thing that is, if you're only out for yourself, uh, and it's this all-consuming hatred, and it's just all about you. And I think that idea of that kind of singular selfishness is the complete antithesis to what Stargirl has slowly been creating, which is this new JSA, but this, but it's not just the JSA, it's this community. Mm-hmm. And this community that helps one another, forgives one another, loves one another, and forgives one another, that's the antithesis to what Eclipso is. And I thought that, that again, that complicated nature was very nice to see because it's like, yeah, human beings are complicated. And what makes us up is complicated. And sometimes we have to come face to face with ourselves and and who we have been, so we have the opportunity to make a change. Well, and it's kind of like how several episodes in the middle of the season is about Eclipso tearing apart the JSA w- literally one member at a time and and yes. taking what makes that member tick and deconstructing them and tearing them down based on everything that pushes their buttons. I mean, I'm glad they don't go back to it too hard with Yolanda, but they even use one moment to bring back up the sexting issue from season one and Mm -hmm. just, but just make it part of like, but she killed somebody at the end of season one and she's dealing with the consequences of that. Mike yes. is kind of weird yeah. in dealing with the consequences of and because I, I like how they've almost retconned the moment at the end of season one where he drove the truck into Icicle and shattered him. Because I remember that moment yeah. going, you just killed a guy and we're being a little too happy go lucky about the fact that you just, you know, shattered a person into pieces. And I love the fact that this season almost redeems that moment by treating it with the gravitas and the seriousness that the season one finale most definitely did not. Yes. No, I I 100% agree with you. And I think that's one of the strengths of this season was that, you know, this will be a really... I'm, people may laugh at me, but, you know, it, it felt like, okay, we're going to take the reality of the first season and we're going to deal with the consequences of that in the same way that BVS takes the reality and the consequences of Man of Steel and deals with them. You know, this in a much lighter sense, right? But that's good storytelling for continuous storytelling. You know, uh, killing somebody has consequences. <laughs> and so, therefore, the fact that we actually deal with those consequences for those characters that experience that was great. And again, it, it allows us to deal with the complicated nature of who we are as human beings, and it allows all these characters to face their darkness. And that's what Eclipso is trying to do. Like He wants everybody to face their inner darkness so he can feed off of it, and then his desire is to merge the shadow world with ours. And what I was really struck by was how a lot of what he's able to do with these characters is that he's actually tapping into lies 
for these people, the lies that they kind of believe, like, you know, Beth with her family and her parents not really loving her or them not or her not really loving them. You know, the 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 lies that Yolanda has been telling herself in her mind, you know, about herself and her self-worth and who she is and all the like the same thing with with Pat, the the lies that he believed about himself about really not being good enough and just being a a, a, a uh, just being a sidekick, you know, like and and what's really beautiful is that the best way to combat the this darkness is with the truth. And so even if that truth is about the darkness that's within all of us. And so. I just thought this was so great that this whole season was just really about facing our own darkness and dealing with it and how a lot of times the best way to deal with the darkness and in all honesty the best way to the dark the best way to deal with the darkness is to combat it with the truth. Yeah, and that was and that was something that thankfully at least that's thematic for the season because there was a part of me that was just feeling a little bit of the CW tingle where it's like, oh, we're going to be keeping secrets from people and then we're going to keep secrets for like three or four episodes. And then when they find out, it's all going to like, you know, blow up in their face. And, you know, I, I just I, I, I'm a little I'm a little burned on that. You know, it's actually one of the things I've really loved about Superman and Lois is yeah. they don't do yeah. that kind of crap like. Yes, thank God. I mean, Superman and Lois, they just, like, flat out say it. It's like, oh, nope, we're going to tell the kids. Nope, we're going to tell mom and dad. Like, you know, know, it's just like Mm -hmm. you don't get that. They create drama in more sophisticated sophisticated ways that does not involve, I'm going to keep a secret for no damn good reason (laughs) and then then let it all blow up in my face in four episodes, which – which I was kind of feeling that here, but then, like you said, it's actually it's actually thematically part of what Eclipso is doing. So then it kind of gets mm-hmm. a little yep. bit of a it, it gets a little bit of a pass from me because it's not just a plot contrivance to create drama. It's actually yes. thematically the point of the season. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you, and. So much of this is about that whole idea, too, of like that that secrets hurt people. Secrets hurt us. You know, if if we don't tell each other the truth and we keep these secrets, they can actually harm both me and you. Right. Um, if and and whether or not that secret is something that is going to be like we're going to enjoy dealing with because it's going to be something like happy or it could be just, you know, the truth can be terrifying because it's the truth. And, you know, even when we deal with the fact that the JSA killed Eclipso, killed the host originally, like that revelation is something by them, by that being kept in the past and not told to specifically Yolanda, that made her feel worse about herself than she should have, right? No, 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 knowing that, feeling like she's the only one. Again, a lie that she would tell herself. I'm the only one in this group who's killed somebody, and therefore nobody else, you know, can can understand me um, because I'm alone in right. this. Right, and, and also, you know, and that also again, means that I also cannot be forgiven for this 
because how exactly. how could I be forgiven? I am a hero and I killed mm-hmm. the bad guy. Exactly. Not knowing that, oh no, you got an entire superhero team that did the exact same thing yep. decades back. Yeah, no, you nailed it 100%. And, and I just, that was one of the places where I feel like all of these thematic elements about, you know, the, the complicated nature of, of us as human beings facing our darkness, Eclipso as the villain, all of these things, I think, really come to the forefront in the idea of, you know, the answer, which is love. In the end, Courtney, with the help of Starman, is able to remember the good inside of her, the fact that she is loved the fact that people do care about her, the, the fact that there there is light and dark in her and that she doesn't have to deny that. She remembers, and I mean, the scene plays out just like, you know, Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix, um, but that her friends and her family accept her. They love her. That The true power of love of community is what ends up saving Courtney, which then allows them to finally beat Eclipso, which... I thought that that was beautiful because, again, you come down to the idea of love and acceptance is not just about like everybody being perfect. But no, we're going to be kind of broken and we're going to need forgiveness from one another as well. And all of that comes to play in that, you know, those final scenes where they finally, you know, Courtney is able to expunge the darkness and then they're able to finally defeat Eclipso in a way that doesn't kill anyone and just like the beatles told me all you need is love it's true it's very true (laughs) i'm sorry you were you were being so profound you were being so thoughtful (laughs) and all i had in my head was hey man all you need is love and i'm just like wow i mean it was true that's the you know it's uh often the answer in a podcast is a lyric to a song yeah just specifically the beatles (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) but i do think you know that 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 was something that uh, again this is where i felt like the writing for the season did a great job in connecting they never lost the thread all of these elements they never lost yes. the thread it stayed solid the entire time once again i'm going to go back to the the structure i think i think that only works when you do commit yourself to one of these shorter seasons i really do feel like for the most part, 13 episodes is a really, I mean, that's about as long as you really should go for a serialized form of storytelling in a single season. I feel like, the, I think 10 to 13 is a really good sweet spot. Less than that, and you feel like you're a little rushed. More than that, and you, and you get filler and you lose the thread. I think that's a great point because, and and I will be honest, I do feel like that there were some places in this season where I almost feel like maybe one less episode might have been, might have helped to tighten up a few things uh, because there were some parts of the season where I, I did feel like, okay, and I think it was really in the middle where I felt like you could have combined a few of the elements, especially with Eclipso dealing with the different people, uh, and that you probably could have taken out almost a whole episode 
and you, you still would have arrived at the same place, maybe a little bit um, more concisely. I would also feel the same way personally about that in that that first half of the season uh, when the focus is on the junior ISA and not on Eclipso. I feel like that could have been. I, I it feels bad to say, but I the the one episode that felt the most like that to me was the Crocs episode. That 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 yeah that yeah. felt like. Wow, we're spending a lot of time on these people, and mm-hmm. and that's agree. also if I, if I, if I'm going to put my bias out there, it's also because the way those care the way the Crocs are played are so hyperbolic and over the top that it annoys mm-hmm. me. Yes, but that's me personally. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with that. I think you know they're they're. they're one of the things that I think just the season did overall was that where it kind of took some of the over-the-top nature of Stargirl and brought it down to Earth a little bit because everybody is in a much more melancholy place and so are the episodes. And I think that you can still have joyful exuberance without everything being over-the-top. Especially, the, I think the Crocs are a great example of that, where it's just so over the top, so overacted that it's just, okay, it's it's too much. And so I think, again, you we keep going back to it, but Superman and Lois, I think, really hit that sweet spot where they don't do that very much. No, Superman and Lois is like one of my favorite, uh, yeah. my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of superhero television currently on air like it's it's 100 it's it's almost unfair how much i love that show i completely agree with you so um well i mean the season ends uh and we're definitely setting up season three because we see mr bones who is definitely interested in the fact that jade is around uh and the fact that um, there are heroes and villains in Blue Valley, so he plans to visit. Starman is back, which how and why is going to be interesting to find out. The Crocs are moving in next door, and then Mike and Yakim decide maybe, you know, since he's got Stripe and he's got the Thunderbolt pin, maybe they should even start their own team. So did that, did you feel like any of those things left you excited for what you would hopefully see in a season three of all of that for me the thing that makes me giddy is mr bones i i i I was introduced to mr bones in the new 52 those early issues of jh williams run on batwoman and with with his art and and the writing with uh in in that continuity mr bones running the deo and mm-hmm. yep, I remember that. And, yep. and working and working with Kate Kane, I really, really kind of dug that character. I even enjoyed him when I'm not sure if you ever read the Smallville season eleven comic. Um, and they eventually brought uh, Mr. Bones in in that continuity, and so he's a fun character. 
And uh, I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm that is what's got me the most excited about season three because he's showing up. Like it, it's one of those situations. Like, give me a good story, great, but you're bringing me that character. Don't screw that up, and I'll be and I'll be yeah. pleased. No, I, I think that's to me the the thing that's exciting. I I think also the mystery of the fact of how Starman, who we thought was dead, is back will be really interesting. Um, and I, you know, I really enjoy Joel McHale. And I think just, I think what it, what's going to be the most fun about it is to see him be able to help Courtney kind of up her game as Stargirl in the first place. In the sense that somebody who truly understands what it means to wield the staff and what it can actually do I think that's really going to be awesome to see. And so, you know, and and I think what's, you know, I know season as we're recording, season three has already started and the, the tagline for that season, like this one was s- summer school, that is frenemies. And of course, you know, Artemis, uh, Croc, you know, she's going to want to be a part of the JSA somehow. Uh, Cindy wants to join the JSA. So we're we're seeing the JSA grow uh, and then, of course, too, I mean, one of the other things that we did at the end of the season as well is that Cameron's grandparents reveal the fact that they have, you know, the cryokinetic powers. And so I think that also, you know, what are you going to have happen? Is he going to be a part of a villain or a friend he's going to be a, you know like what's going to go on there especially since are they also going to tell him the jsa and the junior jsa is responsible for his dad's death which you know he sees as a hero so i think that's also a really interesting uh part for hopefully what would come in season three well, i hope so too because i'm going to tell you that actor who plays cameron i mean He's one of the when we're talking like the acting that's being done by the adolescent, you no know, teenage cast of this show. That guy playing Cameron is like is like knocking it out of the park. Like I just yeah, like him a lot. No, I I a hundred percent agree, and I I think him getting more storyline will be really interesting, and I think that that will happen in season three as well. So overall, I'm really interested in what do you think you would end up rating. Stargirl Summer School. It's weird because it is one of those TV sh- seasons where it's like a tale of two seasons. Like, you know, like I, like I said, it's just that first half is really slow for me. And mm-hmm. and then it just makes that hard ride. And suddenly I'm like, I am all in. So it's like, do I give that? Do I give that, you know? Hmm. I almost feel like. I'm leaning more towards like a uh, nine out of ten evil black soul sucking diamonds, you know. Oh, wow! I, it was like okay. I'm either I'm looking at like an eight, an eight and a half, or a nine, and mm. I want to give it the benefit of the doubt for a lot of the things that we've mm-hmm. that we've talked about, and right. I feel like. Nine soul sucking diamonds out of ten is maybe generous, but I feel like I would rather err on the side of generosity than being maybe a little bit more persnickety. Mm. I, I think for me, 
I think you kind of said it really well. There's there's the beginning of the season and there's a few things in the season that kind of take away some some points for me. But, you know, if we're going to go in uh, Stargirl, Starman, Stars, um, I think for me this is going to be a 3.75 out of 5 okay. because it's not – it just – it doesn't quite earn that fourth star for gotcha. me fully just because of some of the issues that we did mention about the show and but i think it it continues to be a solid show and and when it comes to you know in all honesty i've given up every single other superhero show uh in the sense of like with the cw shows but going back and watching stargirl um and, and other than Superman and Lois is the one that obviously I've been sticking with and, and has been really good. But this one was just, it actually made me interested then to go and continue on and watch season three now, you know, because I feel like everybody's getting better in the show for the most part. All the actors are getting more comfortable and I'm, I think they've set up a lot of fun mysteries to go into season three and to make me want to continue with the show is really important because a lot of the other CW shows just lost me and I stopped watching them somewhere along the line. And what I'm saying is season two of Stargirl hasn't lost me and it's made me want to watch season three. So that's pretty successful if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, I enjoyed season one. So I feel like season two even like steps it up from season one and I already enjoyed yeah. season one. Yep, I agree. So that's yep. why I'm leaning. Maybe you could say I'm being a little too generous, but I'm willing to go there for this show, you know, because, yeah, I do. I, like not, when I found out, like I weirdly didn't even know that season three was currently on the air like that, like completely missed my radar. So the fact that when you reached out to me, I was like, "Hey, you want to do a you you want to do a watch a season two and talk about?" It? And I was like, "Cool." And then as I'm watching season two, I found out season three is airing, and I'm like, "Yeah." As soon as I finish season two, I'm totally <laughs> jumping on season three. Exactly. No, I got that same thing. In fact, they're actually saved on my DVR, like the first few episodes. And so I'm like, "Yeah, I can just go watch those now. That's awesome." So <laughs> yeah, I'll have to do the CW app where I have to watch the same five commercials ten times. But you know what? We do uh, what we have to. Yeah, it's very true. Well, Scott, I'm I'm really glad that you came on. It's always fun to have you back. And um, so before you get out of here, of course, where would you? have people find you uh, if they wanted to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on. Well, of course you could find me on Twitter at Scott DC 27. You can find my podcast at DC Squadcast, wherever podcasts can be found. We, in the past year or so, we ditched the news format. We decided we really just want to focus on talking about stuff that we love. So currently we, we put out the occasional movie review, trailer review, you know, you know, something really big newsworthy happens. We talk about it. But other than that, we kind of created like these two tracks of shows that kind of fill in other, you know, fill in in between like movie releases. And we're doing a The Batman scene by scene, kind of breaking up Matt Reeves, The Batman. And we've also just launched our Man of Steel scene by scene. So we've kind of like got those. It's kind of nice because we can kind of put those and those are like evergreen 
as we wait for like, you know, our next big movie review will be, you know, when Black Adam comes out. So, you know, that's kind of what we have going yes. on. Nice. And then, of course, we're on Vero, Facebook and YouTube with our entire network of Squadcast Media at SquadcastMedia.com, which includes other comic and TV review shows like DC TV Squadcast, DC Comic Squadcast and Enter the Night. I'd also like to take the opportunity to plug over at my friend Dave Pena's Film Junkie YouTube channel. I do a live Sunday night stream, 9 o'clock Central, every Sunday night over at Film Junkie, where it's called Batman the Fanimated Stream. And my buddy Dave and I are talking week to week every single episode of Batman the Animated Series in production order. And depending on when this episode drops, the next episode for us to record is the end of season one, which was that first order of 65 episodes. So we've already got 64 episodes out there on YouTube for you to watch. So we're going to do the we're going to do the 65th episode is that's going to wrap up season one. And then the next week, we're going to do a super special extra long episode where we're going to talk about Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, fantastic. Such a such a great movie, too. So. That's going to be phenomenal. Well, you could find me, of course, all over social media under the name MattRushing02. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network when I'm not in the 602 Club doing literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard, and Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm over on the Nerd Party Network. I do have a completed show there with Drea Kaufman, where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time on Owlpost. And last but not least, doing aggressive negotiations with the great John Mills, which is a Star Wars podcast. But you know what? As always, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 